we're not school libraries are not school <laughs> if you've had a bad experience at school don't judge libraries by that like they're a place where you can go at your own pace like yeah. you can discover it your you can discover what you like welcome to shelf life from bristol libraries in this episode, we talk with Andy Stanway, a library assistant at Bishopsworth Library, about the books we've been reading, dyslexia, literacy, and working in libraries. We hope you enjoy this episode of Shelf Life. Welcome to Shelf Life from Bristol Libraries. My name's Sean, and we've got a guest with us today. But first of all, I'd like to say hello to my co-hosts. Hi, hi. Mabina. And hi, Paul. Hi, yeah. And Mabina, would you like to introduce our guest? Yeah, so we're really pleased to welcome our colleague Andy Stanway today. Um, Andy's a library assistant from Bishopsworth Library. Hi, Andy. Hi, I'm a library assistant at Bishopsworth Library. I've been working uh, in Bristol Libraries for about five years now. And I just uh, came onto a show to kind of talk about being dyslexic and being a dyslexic uh, library assistant and how that's kind of impacted me but how I also use that knowledge to help others who come into Bristol libraries. Brilliant cool before we get started with the interview should we all talk about what books we've been reading first? Do you want to start us off Paul? Yeah okay so I have been having a sort of immersive reading experience of reading Octavia Butler's Parable of the Sower while listening to a podcast about it called Octavia's Parables uh, which is made by Adrienne Marie Brown and Toshi Regan and they're also part of something called Emergent Strategy who've done books and a podcast so I'm sort of listening to like a chapter of one and an episode of the other and getting this kind of rounded 3D view of of where these different writers are coming from and how they interrelate to each other which Mm. is kind of helping me get my head around these sort of texts that I found quite difficult at first but by like listening to them chatting about it and stuff it's really helping me get into it so um, that's pretty cool. That sounds really good. I've never done that with, you know, listening to a podcast and a book at the same time like that. Yeah, I think that's more and more sort of tie-ins between books and podcasts. I, yeah, mm. I, I kind of recommend it as a listening and reading experience. Yeah. Yeah. I've been reading the graphic novel memoirs Persopolis, uh, number one and number two by Marjane Satrapi. Um, yeah, these are really, really interesting um, graphic novel stories which follow... Uh, Marjane, the author's life from the ages of 10 to 24. And um, Marjane was born in Iran in the late 1960s. And the book begins at the start of the Iranian Revolution, which was in 1979. So Marjane sees her life like drastically change under the new government that happened as a result of the revolution. And both of the memoirs um, follow Marjane as she lives and grows up in Iran and then Austria. Uh, I found the yeah I found the books really interesting and I learned a lot about Iran's modern history and culture. Uh, I'm really looking forward to watching the 2007 film Persopolis, which me and Andy have talked about a little bit in the past. Um, and I'm looking forward to reading more of Satrapi's books, like Embroideries. I got round to reading that one the other day. I really like cemented that I like her work. Yeah, I love Persepolis. That's one of my favourite graphic novels ever, actually, I think. It's just, it's so easy to read. And I know why it's a classic now, definitely. I feel I should read this because I've watched the film, but I've never actually read the graphic novel. And it's, I really like graphic novels and I've, yeah, never got around to it. So yeah, I'll definitely be reading that soon. 
I've read the graphic novel but not seen the film. So I can hardly <laughs> recommend the graphic novel. Mabina, what have you been reading recently? Um, I am really looking forward to starting um, A Spell in the Wild by Alice Tarbuck. Um, I've got the book and I've actually got um, the audiobook version as well that mm. she um, reads. So I think I might follow Paul's shining example and maybe listen to her reading it while sort of having the book open. Um, and it's sort of about um, magic, really, sort of um, the history of it and how Alice practices today. And I've also been sort of continuing on this um, rereading thing I'm doing. And I've got lots of books by Freya North lined up. She mm. wrote these really fantastic books that were all named after sort of single female characters. Um, and there are some that are standalones and some that are about um, three sisters. They're just really nice comforting reads. I know what happens in them. And they're just lots of fun, really. So I'm looking forward to starting those as well. What about you, Andy? Are you reading anything at the minute? Uh, well, I've just finished at the moment um, Bluets by Maggie Nelson. Oh, I uh, was, that's one of my very high on my to-be-read list. Yeah, it's really good. It's really good. Uh, I finished it in the space of a day, I think, just, yeah. And Meditations on the Colour Blue, uh, her the author's kind of a session with the colour blue. It's kind of in small paragraphs and it's kind of the course of like, I don't know how long, but over a, like a, a long time, her thoughts on blue and kind of her thoughts on relationships and the relationships at the time. So it kind of deals with depression and love and multiple different themes. But it's really good, really interesting. And like, I'd... I'd read, I've read it and now I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy to read it again and kind of delve into it all over again. But yeah, I really enjoyed that. That was my most recent read, which I loved. This episode, we're going to be talking to Andy about being a library assistant who lives with dyslexia and how... Um, how he uses his knowledge of dyslexia to help other readers. So, Andy, what led you to work in libraries? That's an interesting question. Uh, Thank you. I would, yeah, that's right. Um, I would say probably unlike a lot of librarians or library assistants, I wasn't a big reader as a child, so... Yeah, I don't have those fond memories of being four, five, six, going into a library and picking up all the books. Um, but I do remember going into the library, especially, um, this kind of shows where I'm from a bit, I remember going to Norwich Library as a late teenager and going in and finding graphic novels and uh, world cinema, because I love film as well. So I remember finding all those different things in the library, which um, being from the countryside, we didn't have a cinema. So that was a real um, kind of cultural haven to go to. And I think after time, um, being able to go into the library and find all this stuff that I wouldn't be able to normally, it kind of encouraged me to keep on going back and finding new things to read and new uh, things to enjoy so it started off probably 
with like CDs, music, graphic novels, but then it turns into non-fiction section, fiction section in the library. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Sometimes, you know, when, when people think of libraries, they just think of books and, you know, people forget that there's like so much to do with libraries other than the books inside them, like CDs, DVDs, like computer use that some people aren't able to access without the libraries. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, I think it's really important that we kind of emphasise more what we've got, not just books, but other stuff as well, and other stuff to like engage people and excite people and entertain people. So you talked about um, not being one of those kids who has really fond memories of going to the library when they were four and things. Do you remember um, the first thing that you read that really made you feel like, you know, reading was for you, that there was there was something magic about this thing that yeah. you were doing? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, yeah, it was probably in high school and it was embarrassing to admit now, um, Harry Potter, even though... Yeah. I, <laughs> Never be embarrassed about what Never, you've read, ever. Yeah. <laughs> We're a judgment-free zone here. That's true, that's true. Um, yeah, so it was probably around the, that stage where Harry Potter was in, all the movies were coming out, and I think I saw that book maybe in my school, and I think I was going to take it home with me, and I remember reading it and being like, oh, I can read this book like other people like it might take me longer, but I definitely can read this. And I think it was like just because it was for pleasure and no one was telling me to read like the book. But yeah, I was like, Oh, no, this is good. Now I wanna find other books that I enjoy and other stuff that excites me. So yeah, I, re- I definitely remember reading that and then I think that was a springboard to loads of other stuff after that, you know. So I just want to backtrack a little bit and talk about um, your dyslexia. And obviously, um, I feel like we should caveat for our listeners that this is particular to your experience of dyslexia. And we're not sort of we're trying not to make huge generalizations um, about it. But um, do you um, remember when or how you were diagnosed with dyslexia? You were told you had dyslexia. Um, yeah, well... My older brother has dyslexia as well. So I think in some ways that probably helped. But kind of remember being diagnosed. I, I always remember like kind of having di- dyslexia, if you know what I mean. Like yeah. um, as soon as I was like at school, I was like, no, I can't read. I'm reading a lot slower than everyone else. Like this is annoying. Like uh, writing stuff down uh, was this, yeah. All that was really hard. And I think it was probably in like middle school that I was officially diagnosed and had to go to like an educational psychologist and do the whole like reports and stuff like that. So yeah, middle school was when I was diagnosed with dyslexia, but I kind of, as soon as I kind of started trying to read and started trying to learn, I kind of looking back knew I always had it if you know what I mean hmm. what kind of impact would you say it's had on your life today is it something that you kind of have a, a positive relationship with or you've learned to work um and around things and make adjustments or 
Yeah, I think it varies. Like, I think sometimes it can feel positive, and then sometimes it's still really frustrating. Like, you don't. I used to think, oh, you could you could get over it. Like, you you reach an age where you'd not be dyslexic anymore. But it's kind of, it wasn't like that. You always just have to kind of yeah find ways and adapt ways around it and like kind of being open with people is quite a good way to do it because it's like it helps but yeah it definitely like definitely is a struggle still and but i think it helps me in the library because it's like when people struggling over writing cvs and struggling over um other stuff with computers or just writing documents or doing stuff like that, I kind of can empathise with them because yeah. I know what this, that struggle is like. So again, overgeneralising wildly here, but um, working in libraries is, is possibly not the first career that people think of um, going into if they have dyslexia. So what was it about libraries that you kind of that drew you to actually working there? Well, I was always interested in learning new things. Yeah, I, so like because I wanted, because I was interested in learning new things, I think the library is a place where you can do that for free. Mm. So libraries, especially as I got older, became more and more appealing. And having like lived in Bristol now for 10 years, I think like when I was, going to Bristol libraries and going in them and going in them every month or something. I think when I saw those jobs come up, I was like, no, I think uh, I enjoy going to these places. I enjoy reading books from there. I enjoy getting graphic novels out from there. Yeah, I think I kind of had to kind of jump over that boundary of like resistance of, no, I shouldn't work in my libraries. I'm dyslexic and kind of say, no, I think I should work in those libraries because I'm dyslexic and because I understand what other people, what other other people's barriers might be to working in a library and coming to a library. So, um, because we're all insiders as far as libraries go, we kind of know the the breadth of um, sort of the library offer when it comes to people who struggle with literacy for whatever reasons. But do you remember? Um, do you remember your reaction when you found out that actually the library offers um, different sort of um, formats for people who struggle with um, their reading? So like quick reads or um, Arrington Stoke books or audio books? Yeah, I think, as I said, I don't think I experienced that as much as a child. So I think when I started working at libraries, I was like, oh, there is so much available to people now that, it's really good I and mean, it's a really good thing to publicise out like Barrett and Stoke books, like audio books, like graphic novels, like quick reads. They're all uh, there, they're all accessible. And I think I'd say to anyone who wanted to come into a library, just ask the library assistant there, ask a librarian there and we'll like point you in the right way, you know. What would you say was your personal favourite thing that we offer that you would that you would evangelize to everybody about okay recently so in this kind of covid lockdown that we've had uh started getting audiobooks from libby you mean ebooks sorry 
on ebooks, yeah, on the Libby yeah. ebooks, yeah. Yeah, so they've got a dyslexic font setting on Libby ebooks. So you can download anything and it will switch it to an easy read dyslexic font. Um, that's the thing I discovered in lockdown. And yeah, um, you don't, I don't, I don't need it all the time and I read normal books, but um, I think that is really helpful for everyone and it's, yeah, great. Yeah, ebooks are really great for accessibility. I'm fairly short sighted and I, I love fiddling around with text sizes and like the spacing between lines and things just until I get a page that looks easier for me to read. So I didn't actually know that Libby did that. So that's that's an interesting fact that I can yeah. add on to as well. Yeah, my first uh, dyslexic font ebook was Girl, Woman, Other, which was, yeah, I was really oh, happy to read. Yeah, yeah. Nice. <laughs> on this podcast, we feel like we're always talking about that book. <laughs> so like for you to mention it as well, it's like, ah, yeah, we know that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so are there any, um, so just sort of going back to the whole professional being a library assistant thing, yeah. are there any kind of adjustments that you need to make day to day that kind of help you do your job or, or is it something that doesn't really? I think there are adjustments. Um, one example I think would be, when we have school visits, I've got to read the picture books beforehand. I do the same. Yeah, I do the same. Well, your experience will be different to mine, but I find it so much less nerve wracking if I know what's coming next in the picture book. So just a quick story time tip here. It is actually best practice to read the books before yeah. any story time. <laughs> yeah. Because you never know. <laughs> you never know what's going to come up. Sometimes the books are not like you're like, what? Yeah. didn't expect that. Yep. The cover yeah. and the content, not the same thing. Yeah. So, yeah, always good to sounds read. Like, sounds like you've been caught out. Yeah. But no, no, no. I think, for for example, for a dyslexic person, uh, a lot of the made-up words in children's mm. books, um, they're still a struggle. So, yeah, I read lots of adult fiction, but sometimes children's books can prove a bit more of a struggle. So I've, it's nice to kind of check beforehand read them for a few times yeah because i think that definitely helps me that's one of my adjustments i kind of make i think it's also like i can write emails i don't write the longest emails um probably out to people but i, I definitely can do that yeah i think i think it's just about kind of being honest with yourself about your limitations and kind of asking for help when you need to but probably surprisingly i don't think it's a massive issue for me in my day-to-day life. I mean, I'm sure there's tons of customers and tons of colleagues who probably don't even know I've got dyslexia. Definitely not prohibitive to work in the libraries. I'm going to encourage other people with dyslexia, who, if you're listening to this, to join, um, come and like work in the libraries. If you love books and you want to encourage people to learn, come and work in the libraries. What other kind of advice would you offer people who were um, thinking about a career in libraries? You've got to be like passionate about your subject. You know, you've got to be passionate what you're kind of selling to people. You know, and I think if you've got that, it's really easy. I mean, I'd say one of the things I've learned as a dyslexic person um, in libraries is like when someone comes up to you you just kind of treat them 
as a complete new person that you don't know and find out what they're passionate about. Because mm-hmm. as soon as you find out what people are passionate about, it's easy to recommend them stuff to learn, stuff to read about. I mean, and that works for dyslexic and non-dyslexic people alike. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've worked with you in the libraries as a library assistant, and you're always so motivated to treat each person as an individual and, you know, find out what makes them tick. And I think that's, um, you know, you're so enthusiastic. And I think that's what makes you personally like a very good library assistant, honestly. Oh, thank you. Cheers. (laughs) Would you say... um thinking about this both as someone who works in libraries and someone who uses libraries there are any particular barriers that are um, present in public libraries i think there's definitely i mean i think the libraries themselves can work at being more accessible and i think it's something like that we're learning to do all the time but i also think like sometimes it's like the image of libraries is kind of not what they are so Mm. People can kind of be put off by coming to a library because they think, oh, I don't want to go into there. It's not for me. Mm. Like they're kind of, it's not for me place. I mean, yeah. so that, yeah, that can have many forms like, oh, people just don't feel they they read enough or don't feel like the books are there that they want. I mean, yeah. So, but I would push back on that and say, I think there is, something that libraries offer to people and I think you just kind of got to get through the door I think there is something for everyone there my brother for example is really into sports so he loves reading sports books and he likes reading all that stuff and I think like people might not think of a library and sports work like work in in tandem but they definitely do You, you can get loads of sports books like um, you can get stuff for like football, rugby. Like you get, we have kids come into a library who might be of that age when they're like, "Oh, I don't want to read books; they're not cool anymore." But there's loads of stuff like that, or like sports, science, space. Like if you find the subject, like people will be engaged. Mm. And uh, this is probably on a separate question, but I also think like if you're trying to engage, like young readers and young dyslexic readers it's kind of using what people are excited about gets people in the library and like whether it's like sports for example or or cooking anything like that gets them excited and gets them picking up books and that's what's really good about the library so we've um referred a couple of times earlier on to barrington stoke and quick reads and for those of our listeners who don't know what they are would you be able to tell us a little bit more about them yeah it's just um there's books that are printed in a dyslexic font on slightly different colored paper because a lot of people with dyslexic dyslexia have problems reading black uh, black font on white paper it like stresses out the eyes and barrington stoke produced books that it's more it, um, it's easier to read, basically, for dyslexic people. And um, you can find out more information um, on barringtonstoke.co.uk. And we also talked about quick reads. Yeah, quick reads are just small books, basically. 
like simplified so yeah they're just easier to read if even for people like even for non-dyslexic people as well if you've got a bit less time in your hands and you just want to read the latest book it's it's just available to read quicker you know yeah one of the things I, I think I vaguely remember when they were first launched and one of the really great things about them was that they were books for people who for whatever reason struggled a bit with literacy but they were books for grown-ups by grown-ups so you weren't having to sort of say to um adults you know here here's a children's book start with this kind of thing it was they were books that would kind of be interesting to them by authors who would be interesting to them that just sort of enabled them to read really yeah. and they're, they're fabulous books and they're, they're still been going on for a, a good few years now and there's, there's sort of a, a set released every year or so it's the reading agency isn't it that do those ones yeah um I wanted to make sure we mentioned Read Easy. It's for people who who struggle with literacy, adults who struggle with literacy, um, which, you know, a lot of people in Bristol do for a lot of different reasons. And they have one-to-one support with volunteers from Read Easy. And that happens in libraries and other spaces across Bristol. Yeah, they are really good. Basically, it's like a volunteer buddy to help you learn to read. And yeah, that's people of any age. So from kind of 18 to... 78 you know so yeah they're really good and they're really great service that bristol provides you can find out more information um at readeasy.org.uk um whether you'd like to apply to um volunteer for them or whether you'd like to learn to read and then the shared reading groups are really good as well for people who struggle to read which is where we have groups this is sort of linked in with uh, the reader organization um, we have volunteers who run groups where people read bits out of poetry and short stories to each other and then discuss their own sort of reactions to that. You can find out more about the shared reading groups um, via the Reader's website, and that's thereader.org.uk. Cool. Uh, and also something I find interesting about them is that it's a very reader-centred approach, whereas it's it's you don't really look at the text and like, let's look at the contextualization of that and when it was written and who the writer was. You just look at your own personal response to it, which is a lot of how we in libraries kind of approach things. Like we've actually got these documents on the Libraries West website for people running reading groups with like suggested questions and ways to facilitate it. And it's a lot of reader-centered approach. So it's going back to what Mabina was saying earlier about we don't judge people on their reading or you know it's very much about your own kind of personal relationship with reading and that everyone's got a very different yeah. relationship with reading with each book and each text. I'd really like to add to that as well that um, I've watched lots of the shared reading you know meetings going on from the library desk or wherever I've been and they're really really a no pressure situation you know, you can go and you can, you know, listen to the person reading, uh, the volunteer reading the text. If you don't have anything to say, or you don't want to add to the conversation, you know, you really don't have to. You can just go there and listen to someone reading it out. It's really a no yeah. pressure situation. I like that about the shared reading organisations. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think what I was going to say um, about all this stuff about shared reading and uh, read easy and audiobooks, it shows like... um we're not school libraries are not school <laughs> if you've had a bad experience at school don't judge libraries by that like they're a place where you can go at your own pace like yeah. you can discover it you you can discover what you like yeah yeah 
it's, <laughs> it's one of the first things I think we're taught when we um, start out is to not judge what other people are reading. And, you know, we don't. I help a, a couple of us help out on the reading groups that we've been running virtually during lockdown. And a big part of that, as I've been saying to people as well, is that you don't have to like the book. It's it's mm. okay to come and say, actually, I really hated this, or this character was really annoying, or I didn't finish this; it was so boring. Um, I'm always people always think it's a bit funny when I say to them, you know, if you, even if you haven't read the book, just come along. Um, mm. If you haven't finished, you know, you don't have to finish everything that you start. And yeah, I think it's important that we know that you don't have to justify that dislike to anybody. It's, it's okay to just say, you know what, this isn't for me. Yeah, yeah, definitely read what you want. And if you don't like reading it, go on to something else. There's yep. plenty of books. We've <laughs> got whole libraries of them. Yep, literally. This is making me think of the 10 inalienable rights of the reader, which we've got here. Does Would someone like to read those out? Yeah, I can. I can right. do those. Um, so this, these are a list of um, rights for the reader that were thought up by a French writer called Daniel Pennac, which I've probably mispronounced woefully. I do apologise. Um, you can look online and find a really beautifully illustrated um, by Quentin Blake, I think, PDF. Um, but he basically set out sort of 10 rights that every reader has. And they are um, the right not to read, the right to skip, the right not to finish a book, the right to read it again, the right to read anything, the right to mistake a book for real life, which is what I do a lot, <laughs> um, the right to read anywhere, the right to dip in, the right to read out loud, and the last one is the right to be quiet, which I really... Um, yeah, I just love as a set of rules. And I think there are, mm. I, there's quite a few of them I probably stick to. But also the right to read anywhere. Um, I was one of those kids who really loved libraries and was always in them. And I, I remember um, I would go to the library every every Saturday and I would read one of my books walking home. I was just about to bring that up. I was going to say, I'm <laughs> sure you've said you've read books walking yeah. down the street. So I don't know how I did it because I can barely lie now. But I used to be able to walk. It was like a... 15, 20 minute walk and I'd be crossing roads and things. So it wasn't just like a straight path or anything. And I somehow managed to read, I would be, I have read like half the book by the time I got home and I obviously survived, I was not smushed by a car or anything. So um, I'm yeah, also I know a couple of people who do that. I see them yeah, walking around with those. I don't think I can do it now, sadly. <laughs> people can listen to audio books when they walk. So yeah. that's definitely an interesting way that you can still read and uh, walk at the same time now. <laughs> I've um, actually downloaded an audiobook of, um, I think it's Rebecca Solnit, um, The Field Guide to Getting Lost. Oh, yeah. Which is yes. all about walking. Great. Yeah. That would be appropriate. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, reflecting on creating this non judgmental but supportive reading culture and how we try to do that on the podcast and makes me reflect on like things like when we ask at the beginning of the podcast have you been reading anything that kind of thing like uh, hoping that we're doing that in a way that's like supportive and non-judgmental and not doesn't put pressure on people who struggle to read and so on 
Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I really get the vibe that you know we've talked about this sort of off the show, haven't we? That mm. we've said is it is it right that we are asking you know what are we reading as if kind of like we're expecting someone to be reading something but at the same time you know we've had we've definitely filmed uh recorded podcasts before where we've gone you know what i'm not reading anything right now i'm having a real lull either because you know i don't want to be reading anything or something like you know i have not been reading because xyz you know and i think that it's really important that we keep the approach that it's okay not to be reading something. Mm. Yeah, it's okay. I think, like, I think it's one of Daniel Pennock's things. It's the first yeah. one, the right not to read. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes it's not the right time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like, I think I've been the person in a couple of podcasts to say, "Do you know what? No, I'm just completely blocked. I just can't read anything." <laughs> but no, I like that you brought that up, Paul. I think that's really important to uh, yeah. recognize. Mm. And it, it does come. It's, I think it's, it comes more from an information sharing. I love hearing about what people are reading even when, especially when it's stuff that i don't read or wouldn't read and i think a lot of the stuff that we talk about on the podcast would not be things that i would necessarily have heard about or have read mm. so mm, yeah it's really interesting because um yeah i was what you were saying about that i was just thinking about um we've got loads of people coming to the library read crime books and i've never been a big crime reader i but. love them but uh, this summer, I uh, did read, or last summer, I did read Attica Locke. Uh, she's an author. She wrote Bluebird, Bluebird. They're crime books set in the south of um, America. They're really interesting, kind of talking about um, the ongoing racism still in the South America. But yeah, I've, I, and I really enjoyed those crime books, and I don't think I would have picked them up if I didn't see other people reading crime books in my library. Mm-hmm. One of my favourite genres, I think, for that particular reason, is that it, it, there is the, the crime element to it, but they, they just encompass so much more as well. And there's so much sort of political commentary, I think, that goes on. But, you know, mm. it, they can also be historical and they can be what they call cosy crimes. There's mm. like a, a crime book for every type of mood you're in, which I really enjoy. Yeah, that's what I'm learning. That's what I'm learning now. So I've got a whole nother genre to discover. Yeah. <laughs> um, so just thank you so much, Andy, for um, joining us. It's been, um, I'm still a bit, kind of a new member of Star, so it's been really lovely um, to be able to meet a member of Star from Bristol Libraries and someone who works on the front line. And we really appreciate you coming to speak to us about um, dyslexia and approaches to reading and what it's like being um, a frontline library worker so thank you so much for coming it's been, it's been lovely to be here lovely to be here hey, yeah thanks very much um yeah so- thank you andy can we just be very hollyoaks and record yeah. a couple of links for if people want to find out more about dyslexia oh yeah yeah do it um yeah I thought your um your little bits would be in a way you'd say, you can find out more about this. I was like, yeah, oh, that's really good. That's really good. It's yeah. very good. <laughs> um, you can, um, if you'd like to learn more about dyslexia, you can check out the British Dyslexia Association's website on bdadyslexia.org.uk, or you can find information on the NHS website at nhs.uk/conditions/dyslexia, or of course you can pop to your local library. Brilliant. 
So if you'd like to get in touch, you can reach us on the usual social media channels using the hashtag ShelfLifeBristol. We'd like to give a shout out to Luke, a volunteer for editing and transcribing the podcast, and Will, who's a library assistant at Avonmouth, for his work helping polish off all our episodes. Also, huge thank you to Dan Davies for the theme tune and Ollie, a library assistant at Noel for the transitional music. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Bye. Bye. Bye.